If you would please turn in your Bible or on your Bible app to Exodus chapter 16. If you find that your Bible app, your phone, may be a distraction, I encourage you to use a Bible. Those of you at home, grab your Bible, use at home, or use the Pew Bible here for those of you who are present. We are in a series called Exodus, Knowing God in the Desert. And today, we come to a wonderful story of God providing food for his people. But in the process of doing that, he provides something so much better than just manna and quail for his people. Exodus chapter 16, verses 1 to 21, this is the word of God. They set out from Elam, and all the congregation of the people of Israel came to the wilderness of Sin, which is between Elam and Sinai, on the 15th day of the second month, after they had departed from the land of Egypt. And the whole congregation of the people of Israel grumbled against Moses and Aaron in the wilderness. And the people of Israel said to them, would that we had died by the hand of the Lord in the land of Egypt when we sat by the meat pots and ate bread to the full. For you have brought us out into this wilderness to kill this whole assembly with hunger. Then the Lord said to Moses, Behold, I am about to rain bread from heaven for you, and the people shall go out and gather a day's portion every day that I may test them, whether they will walk in my law or not. On the sixth day, when they prepare what they bring in, it will be twice as much as they gather daily. So Moses and Aaron said to all the people of Israel, at evening you shall know that it was the Lord who brought you out of the land of Egypt. And in the morning you shall see the glory of the Lord, because he has heard your grumbling against the Lord. For what are we that you grumble against us? And Moses said, when the Lord gives you in the evening meat to eat and in the morning bread to the full, because the Lord has heard your grumbling that you grumble against him, what are we? Your grumbling is not against us but against the Lord. Then Moses said to Aaron, Say to the whole congregation of the people of Israel, Come near before the Lord, for he has heard your grumbling. And as soon as Aaron spoke to the whole congregation of the people of Israel, they looked toward the wilderness, and behold, the glory of the Lord appeared in the cloud. And the Lord said to Moses, I have heard the grumbling of the people of Israel. Say to them, at twilight you shall eat meat, and in the morning you shall be filled with bread. Then you shall know that I am the Lord your God. In the evening, quail came up and covered the camp. And in the morning, dew lay around the camp. And when the dew had gone up, there was on the face of the wilderness a fine flake-like thing, fine as frost on the ground. When the people of Israel that saw it, they said to, to, to one another, what is it? For they did not know what it was. And Moses said to them, 
It is the bread that the Lord has given you to eat. This is what the Lord has commanded. commanded. Gather of it, each of you, as much as he can eat. You shall take an omer according to the number of persons that each of you has in his tent. And the people of Israel did so. They gathered some more, some less. But when they measured it with an omer, whoever gathered much had nothing left over. And whoever gathered little had no lack. Each of them gathered as much as he could eat. And Moses said to them, let no one leave any of it till the morning. But they did not listen to Moses. Some left part of it till the morning and it bred worms and stank. And Moses was angry with them. Morning by morning, they gathered it each as much as he could. But when the sun grew hot, it melted. The reading of God's word. Let's go before him in prayer. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word. It's living, it's active, it's sharper than any two-edged sword piercing not our physical bodies, but our spirits, our souls, working in us through the power of your spirit, making the word come alive, something that nothing else can work. Lord, each one of us grumbles. I grumble. But Lord, we want to see how you meet us every single day with the bread of heaven so that we would move from grumbling to joyful contentment in you and the life that we have through our Lord Jesus, in whose name we pray, amen. Four quick points this morning. What is grumbling? Why do we grumble? How does God deal with our grumbling? And finally, what do we find on the other side of grumbling? It's hard to miss this in the passage. The word grumbling is literally used seven times between verses 1 and 12. I do love the King James Version. It uses the word murmurings, kind of an old school word there, murmurings, grumbling. What? Let's just jump right in. What is grumbling? Well, here's, here's what the dictionary says, Merriam-Webster. It says, grumbling is a mutter of discontent, complaint. You got to like this, a growling or reverberating noise, a rumbling. You know, you're kind of under your breath thinking, how did the referee not see that play? That was a foul. How did he not see it? The guy's feet were at him and you're kind of mumbling and you're grumbling and you're, you're complaining. We all do it. I do it. One of our members said to me, knowing what the message was about before, as we were getting ready this morning, he said, I kind of like to grumble. <laughs> it can be kind of fun sometimes, if we're honest. It's kind of a, a release to how we feel. But, you know, there's sort of those little things we grumble about, and then there's the bigger things, and it's what grumbling says about our lives. My family and I had the chance to go down to the land of Mickey and Minnie this past week, and we had a great time. It's really an incredible place. And uh, as you know, you, you wait in lines for rides when you're there. And there's really some incredible rides. You know, but when you're waiting in a line, you're tempted to grumble sometimes. Especially when it's the month of June and you feel like you're closer to the sun than you were when you were in Colombia. And... Ever sometimes we're waiting in those lines and 
uh, really, it wasn't always that bad, but there was a few times, you know, where at one moment I was in the shade and then the line moved forward three feet and I had my Jonah moment. Lord, why'd you take away that palm tree I had as I was waiting to ride this amazing ride? And of course, I grumbled some. Uh, we grumble, don't we? We grumble. But let me give a definition this is just my definition, nothing special here, about what grumbling is for God's people. Because the grumbling that we see in this passage is far more than the light kind of funny grumbling or complaining that we do, although we shouldn't do that either. But this is a deeper grumbling. This is a discontentment. So here's, how, here's what I would say grumbling is for God's people. Grumbling is discontent that flows out of a focus on present circumstances while forgetting God's past faithfulness and his future promises. That's, that's how I would say uh, what grumbling looks like for God's people and what it looks like in this passage. It's a discontent that flows out of a focus on present circumstances while forgetting God's past faithfulness and his future promises. We'll get to what it means to walk with God in the present, but to talk about God's past faithfulness. You know, it really is remarkable that they are making this charge against God. And the passage, I dare say it would even be funny, and maybe it is a little bit funny, if it wasn't quite so sad with this version of revisionist history that the Israelites say to Moses, and Aaron. Moses and Aaron. And it's 45 days, right? The honeymoon's over. I mean, the honeymoon, the part where they crossed the sea and they, everybody got swept up and the Egyptians were wiped out. We're 45 days in. They're getting hot. They hadn't reached their home yet. And they're starting to complain. And all of a sudden, something that many of us are tempted to do happens. And that's really misremembering the past idealizing something for the way it was when it was really not that way, revisionist history. In the year 2004, a film came out called Napoleon Dynamite. And much to my dismay and disappointment, that film did not win Best Picture from the Academy of Motion Pictures, but I do think the movie is quite funny. The humor may not be for everybody, but it's right up my wheelhouse. And in the movie Napoleon Dynamite, there is a character named Uncle Rico. And Uncle Rico seems to be a person that's had a hard time really growing up in life. It seems as though he doesn't really have a full-time job. He doesn't really know how to have responsibility. And his mantra in that movie is, and he's kind of living in the past, and I guess when he was in high school, he played on the football team. And he just says in the movie, you know, if the coach had just put me in, I know we would have won state. I know I would have thrown five touchdown passes if the coach had just put me in. Uncle Rico. This is their Uncle Rico moment, okay? <laughs> Lord! Why did you take us out of Egypt? We had meat pots. I mean, it was Ruth Chris Steakhouse. We had everything we wanted. We had, we had meat pots. We had all the bread we could eat. Now, come on. Go back and read your Bible. 
That's not how it was. They were literally slaves, slaves with no rights. The Egyptians could kill them just like that. In fact, Moses has a moment where he sees one of his fellow Israelites being so abused that he actually strikes out and kills an Egyptian because the Egyptians were abusive and tormenting and they treated the Israelites exactly how you expect slaves to be treated. And yet, the Israelites, they don't remember God's past faithfulness. Let me ask you this. Do you recall God's past faithfulness to you in your life? What he's done for you? Do you remember when he saved you? The times he's brought you out of hard places. The times when you didn't know what to do, but God delivered you from it. Oh, how easy, and I'm talking about myself, how easy is it to see God provide for us, and then a month later it's like I can't even remember it happened. His past faithfulness and his future promises. We have forgotten that. We have forgotten it. And the Israelites, here they are with this revisionist history. Oh, if we could only go back to when we were slaves and we had everything to eat. No. No, they are discontent. Why do we grumble? Why do we grumble? As we go into this second question, I want you to see how this text breaks down. We're going to put it on the screen. It's helpful if you can, when you come to a biblical text, if, if you can outline it, it's helpful. And there's something that we frequently see in the Old Testament. It's called the chiasm. And the chiasm works like this. You have statement A, statement B, statement C, and then you have C prime, B prime, A prime. And usually what a chiasm is doing or what it is doing is it's trying to highlight the thing that's in the middle of the chiasm. So, so this biblical text really breaks down into two sections, the crisis and the solution. Let's look at the crisis here on the screen. How can we break this passage down? The people grumble against Moses and Aaron about food. That's verses 2 and 3. That's the crisis. God, we're going to starve. They weren't going to starve, by the way. I'll get to that later. They still have animals. Clearly, they're not really in desperate need of food. But that's the apparent crisis. The people grumble. Then the next thing we see, God speaks and gives promises to Moses, verses 4 and 5. Moses and Aaron speak God's message to the people, verses 6 and 7. And then at the end of verse 8, we get to the real issue. And that's that our problem is with God and not with life. Our problem is with God and not with life. That's the real issue so often that we face. Verses 9 and 10, Moses speaks to Aaron, who speaks to the people. And finally, God speaks to Moses and gives specifics. Do you see the breakdown here? Twice God speaks to Moses. Twice Moses and Aaron speak to the people. And in verse 8, we see the real issue. There, Moses says, he gives it to him. He says, it's really not about me and Aaron, me and Aaron right now. This is about you and God. Let's look at the solution, the second part of the passage. God provides daily bread for his people, manna, verses 13 and 14. And then Moses speaks to the people. The people gather food and Moses gives instructions. And I actually realized this yesterday. I was just going over the message. I realized I didn't even break the chiasm down quite right in the second one. Because really, verses 17 and 18 are the core of this second part of the passage 
Moses giving a command matches up with, in verses 19 and 20, match up with 15 and 16. And then finally, we have God's faithfulness at the end of the passage. Here's what Moses and Aaron wanted the Israelites to see. And here's how the passage connects to your life today, sitting here watching on the live stream. Yes, we face challenges in this life. Yes, we face struggles. There's no question about any of that. We do. But our real issue when we grumble is not with the person that we're grumbling with, although certainly that presents it. Our real issue is with God. Our real issue is, God, I'm not content right now with how my life is going. I'm not, I'm not satisfied. I don't see it. It's not what I want. Verse 8, Moses says it to the people. When the Lord gives you in the evening meat to eat and in the morning bread to the full, because the Lord has heard your grumbling, that you grumble against him, what are we? Your grumbling is not against us, but against the Lord. You know, Psalm 51 means so much to so many Christians. Psalm 51, mark it down if you don't know Psalm 51. But in Psalm 51, David makes a confession which captures the heart of all true repentance. And now David, look, he knew he really hurt people with his sin. He did. He so hurt his family. And in fact, the consequences of his actions would continue with his family life. David's family life was really a mess. But in Psalm 51, David says these words. You know them. So many of us know them. He says, against you and you only have I sinned, O God. Friends, the real reason we grumble is not because of the things we face, although we face real things and God cares about those things and God provides for us in those things. But the real reason is that we, we're not happy with God. And our issue is with Him. So let's ask this question. How does God respond to us when we grumble? What's His response? You know, His response could be, I can't believe this. I literally did dozens and dozens of miracles to bring you out of Egypt. And now you're complaining that you don't have enough food, although clearly they're not desperate yet because it talks about later in the chapter, they still have animals to feed. And if you haven't taken, you know, if you haven't taken your cow out because you need steaks real bad, you're really not starving yet. They're really, they're really not starving yet. Doesn't mean they don't have needs, but they're not at the absolute end. No, so how does God respond to us? I want you to see a quote I'm going to put up on the screen here by a guy named Peter Inns, scholar. I don't like everything he says, but he has a good thing to say here. He says, the Israelites bring what is an absurd charge against their leaders. You have brought us out into the desert to starve this entire assembly to death. He calls it absurd. Only the most calloused heart or the most stupid mind could conceive such a ridiculous charge. In, in other words, why would God do all that only to let him starve here? That's silly. The only thing more surprising, perhaps, is the response God gives. Rather than punish them, he rains down bread from heaven. If any need convincing of the grace of God in the Old Testament, 
They only need to look here. Do you see the heart of God here? Do you see, do you see a complaining people? A people who've seen his glory in the cloud? They've seen a, cl- a pillar of cloud by day, a pillar of fire by night. They've literally seen waters form up like two walls so that they could walk through. And then they don't like what's put on the menu. And they complain to God and God says, not, I'm done with you. I'm going to wipe you out. I am going to leave you to starve. Or fine, you're finally on your own. I'm not going to do anything else for you. It's incredible. His response is actually, they're going to see who I am. I'm going to rain down bread from heaven. How does God treat us when we grumble? Not the way we deserve. He treats us with mercy. God's first instinct is mercy. And if there's a passage from the book of Exodus that I want you to walk away from this sermon series knowing and loving, it's Exodus 34, verses 6 to 8, which we're going to get to later in the sermon series. Exodus 34, 6 to 8. This is when Moses says, Lord, I want to see you. And God says, Moses... You you can't see me. If you see me, you're going to die instantly because my glory, my power, nobody can see me. But actually, I'm going to stick you like a good caver, like a good rock climber. I'm going to stick you in a rock and I'm just going to pass by. Incredible passage. Exodus 34, verses 6 to 8. The Lord passed before Moses and proclaimed, the Lord, the Lord. What's the first thing it says about him? A God merciful and gracious slow to anger, abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness, keeping steadfast love for thousands, forgiving iniquity and transgression and sin, but who will by no means clear the guilty, visiting the iniquity of the fathers on the children and the children's children to the third and the fourth generation. God is a God of mercy and justice. He is a God of of justice. God doesn't say, grumble all you want, it's fine, just grumble, just throw a prayer up to me at the last second and ask for forgiveness. That's clearly not what God wants for us. He doesn't want us to grumble. But look at his kindness. Look at his mercy. Look at his instinct toward his people. It's to say, you know what, Moses, tell him this. Tell him I'm going to blow him away with my kindness and with my grace. You know, the author Judy Barrett wrote a book that I bet if you're under the age of 40, you've you read this book or you had it read to you. It's cloudy with a chance of meatballs. Then they turned it into a movie. I got to say to Judy Barrett, are you giving God the royalties for that book? Because that was his idea. She, she, I think she got it from him. God, she, God says to Moses, you tell the people, you, you tell them, I am going to rain down bread from heaven. Mark it down, Judy Barrett. I don't know if God's getting, if you're tithing your royalties from that wonderful kid's book that so many of us love, Cloudy with a Chance of Meatballs. God says, I'm going to do it. I'm the first to make food come down from heaven. I'm going to pour out my grace from heaven and provide a sweet treat called manna for my people. Let's end with this. What do we find on the other side of grumbling? What do we find on it? I want us to look at three quick verses in the New Testament that connect with this passage. 
The first is Matthew 6.33. But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added unto you. Friends, this is what this is what we have to recognize, first of all, when we come to God's Word. We have to seek to go deeper into God's Word than so often we go. Because you can come to this passage and say, what's this passage about? It's about God's people are hungry, He provides food for them in a miraculous way, and don't grumble, and the Bible tells us not to grumble. Well, that's true, but we want to go deeper than that. We want to say, why do we grumble? What's in our hearts that causes us to grumble? And where do we see in God's heart? And this is what we need to see from this passage. That so often the things that we think are the hard things for God are the easy things for God. And the things that we think are the easy things are the hard things. Let me tell you what I mean. When God's people say, God, we're hungry. We're, we're this, this diet that, you, that we're on until we get to the promised land, it's not, it's not what we want. Want a better diet than this? Want a better menu? God doesn't say, oh my goodness, what am I going to do? In fact, the passage tells us why God rains down bread from heaven. It tells us, it tells us there twice in the passage if you read it. God doesn't say, now listen. God doesn't say, I'm going to rain down bread and I'm going to provide quail so that my people don't starve. That's not what the passage says. Now, yes, he does provide that and he provides manna for 40 years, but that's not what the passage says. You know what the passage says about why God does it? It says it twice. It says, verse 6, Moses and Aaron said to all the people, at evening you shall know that it was the Lord. Verse 12, say to them, at twilight you shall eat meat and in the morning you shall be filled with bread. Now listen, then you shall know that I am the Lord your God. Do you know why God does this? God does this so his people would know him. God is not concerned about food in this passage. Not at all. I know we think the manna is so cool, and honestly, I think it is really cool. This sweet, it almost makes me think of baklava, <laughs> okay? Because it's this sweet, wafery uh, thing that God gives, and it would be amazing to experience manna. But that's not the incredible thing in God's mind. That's not the amazing thing. God's like, you're hungry? Okay, I got that. I'll take care of that. Now let's get to the important stuff. The important stuff's your relationship with me. The important stuff is where your heart, heart is. And here's the thing, friends. We think that our health or our school decision or this or that or our money or relationships or what's happening over here, we think that's the big thing to God. And so we say, God, if you could only change that. And God says, that's the easy thing. That's not hard for me. Bread from heaven, easy, done, got it, 40 years the hard thing is a human heart, shaping a human heart to love and trust the Lord Jesus each and every day. Seek first the kingdom of God. Secondly, on the other side of grumbling, we find God. We find his glory. Hebrews 1.3 says this about Jesus. He is the radiance of the glory of God and the exact imprint of his nature. God shows us in this passage, he shows us his glory. 
And I'm somebody who reads this passage and says, I think it would have been really awesome to look at that cloud and see the glory, whatever it looked like. But we don't need that because we see the glory of God in the face of Jesus. And you know what happens when you see glory? You stop grumbling. I'll go back to what I shared at the beginning of the message. When you ride a really good ride at Disney World or at Universal or at Carowinds or Six Flags, wherever, you don't come off of that ride and just talk about what the weight was. Now, you might do that if it was a bad ride. You might say that wasn't worth the weight. But if it was, if it was good, if it was worth it, what do you come off in the ride? You say, that was incredible. You talk about it. I can't believe that happened. I almost threw up. I, this was amazing. We did eight loops. I got to say, I kept saying to my kids, can we just go see a show? No, dad, this one has five loops. We got to do that one. Okay, let's do it again. Um, when you get off a good ride, you're, you're talking about the glory. You're talking about the glory of the ride, the glory of what you experienced. We see the glory of God in Jesus. Our grumbling goes away. Just one last thing. Give us this day our daily bread. Isn't God such a good and wise father that he didn't tell us to pray, God, give us this day our weekly bread. Give us this day our monthly bread. Lord, give us this day the bread that we need for the rest of our lives. And we could come up with really good arguments to God about why we need that. Lord, if you'll give me the bread I need for the rest of my life, think about how I'll be able to serve you. Think about how much better of a servant I'll be of you if you'll just take care of this bread thing until the day I die. But that's not how we're taught to pray. Jesus doesn't teach us to pray that way. Why? Because God's teaching us daily dependence and trust as we pray the prayer, give us this day our daily bread. Just like he wanted the Israelites to experience daily manna. So we pray to God, not give us this day our weekly bread, not our monthly bread, not our yearly bread, not our lifetime bread. Lord, just give me a million dollars and I'll invest it and then I'll be able to give it all away for you and I'll just be such a great servant. And God says, I, I've got a better way. <laughs> I've got a better way. I'm going to teach you daily trust. I'm going to teach you daily dependence because the truth is if we had that, we would stop trusting God. And I'll give a practical application as I close out this message. You'll notice it's a little bit hidden in the passage, but it says on one day, gather twice as much manna. And if you read the rest of Exodus 16, the rest of the passage is all about the Lord's day. And literally God says on now their, their Sabbath was Saturday. So on Friday, gather double. And, and boil it, and then you'll have food for the Lord's Day. And I know sometimes people feel like Christianity isn't practical. The Bible isn't practical. It's up here. But I'm going to give you something incredibly practical to take from this message that's right here in the passage. Trust God on His day. Walk with Him on His day. Students, set aside a day for the Lord. Make it a pattern when you're younger to say Sunday's different from the other six days. Sunday, the, the Lord's Day, friends, it's such a beautiful gift from God because it's, it's a little laboratory 
One in seven, where we learn to live out trust in God and His faithfulness. And that's why God says, I'm going to test my people. And I'm going to tell them on Friday to gather twice as much. And then I'm going to tell them, don't gather on my day. And watch me provide. And so the Lord has given us this great gift of Sundays. And, um, you know, Sundays don't have to be a day where we don't do anything. Sundays are great days for hospitality. They're great days for mercy. But I think the Lord's Day, the more I reflect on it, it's this incredible gift to his people where he says, will you learn to trust me on this day? Will you learn to worship me on this day? Will you learn to rest in me on this day? Or are you going to treat it like every other day? So here's my question as we close today. God said to his people in Exodus 16 to not gather manna on the Lord's day. Here's my final question for all of us, including starting with me. What do you need to stop gathering on Sundays? What does God say to you? Stop gathering. Stop, stop gathering. You gather Monday to Saturday. What do you need to stop gathering on Sundays? You need to stop gathering comfort. You need to stop gathering leisure. Maybe that's why some may sometimes not come in person. God said, what do you need to put down and stop gathering? You need to stop gathering anxiety. You need to stop gathering worry. You need to stop gathering money. Because if I work a few more hours, I can get a few more money. You need to stop gathering busyness. You need to stop gathering everything about yourself and, and find a way to serve on the Lord. Say, what is God calling you to stop gathering on his day, the Lord's day, and find as we rest in him, find his provision, find the manna that he gives, find the quail that he gives, and experience his glory as he changes us from one degree of glory to the next. Oh Lord, help us to see that glory Help us to trust you every day. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, you're the God who provides manna, manna for us in the desert. We pray we would know when to gather and when to stop gathering. Teach us to trust you more. You know what the things are for each one of us that we need to trust you more about. But you're the God who provides us for us perfectly because you provided the bread of life for us in our Lord Jesus Christ, in whose name I pray.